You are listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javet, a podcast that presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Here is your host. In this podcast, we cover everything from churches and church planting efforts, mission and missions organization evangelism, and unreached people groups, emerging movements and initiatives, justice, current events related to faith, and the persecuted church to author interviews, and more. Let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to a special edition of our Urban Voices. As an extension of the Heart for Muslims Conference, all of this month's episodes explore the 2022 conference theme, The Power of Proximity, how your location, culture, and shared experience can bring Christ to Muslims. I'm your host, Dr. Alphonse Jawe. Today, I'm joined by Steve Moses, director of Shalom Medics, a project of Blazing Trees and a master facilitator with the Trauma Healing Institute. He's also a consultant with Vision 59 Medina Focus. We're going to be talking about this uh, Vision 59 Medina Focus in a minute. But our topic today focuses on the importance of addressing and working to heal trauma in the lives of refugees and immigrants, especially Muslims. And that's why I think it's important for us to talk about it. Steve has worked with and lived among Muslim, Muslims primarily from, uh, primarily from Northern Africa, the Middle East, and Central Asia for 26 years. So he has a lot of credentials and experience over the past 14 years. His focus has been... Uh, among refugees and immigrants within the U.S., and uh, he was a he was a formerly the director of uh, World Relief in Memphis, a refugee resettlement agency. So let's talk to him. So welcome, Steve. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I look forward to discussing this with you, Dave. Yeah. So I I'm very interested in your this uh, uh, project. Uh, of Blazing Trees, Vision 5-9, Medina Focus. I'm very interested in, in those things, and I think our listeners are too. But let's start with the, a little bit about our lives. I think it's important for people to know that you are human, I'm human, we have families, and from there, we will launch into conversation about ministry. So share a little bit about your family, brother. Yeah, I agree with you that we are all human. Um, my wife and I uh, live in Nashville, Tennessee. We've been married about 10 years, and we have a, a seven-year-old son and a five-year-old daughter. And so we've been here for uh, a few years now. Um, so that's a little bit about us and, and, and who our family is. And about me, just uh, my audience already knows that, but I have uh, four children, um, five, three, and my twin girls are a year and a half old, and my boys are five and uh, three, as I said, they're boys, so boys and girls. So I love my family, and when I hear about other families, it's just so neat to, uh, you know, connect those two things, ministry and family is how they go together, and yet God blesses that combination. And that's why I thought it's, it's important to just just, you know, talk about family a little bit. So let's start off with a little more about, about you. But this time, I want to hear uh, 
about your ministry. You've been working in Muslim ministry for many, many, many years, but can you tell us a little about your journey to uh, specializing in trauma care? Yeah, it's a good question. So when I started, uh, I used to live in the Middle East. And when I came back to the States, I started working with refugees. And in that, people started asking me, well, how are you caring for their mental, their emotional, their, um, you know, their psychological well-being? And I actually said, I I'm really not. Um, the organization that I was with and even the refugee resettlement, just the way it was set up, wasn't designed for that. I didn't really mm -hmm. check a box to get into that. And people came to me and said, well, you need to think about that. And, and really what sparked with me um, was me and my wife were visiting Jordan. And in that, we were visiting Syrians. And we were meeting with the family and sitting there and round up those, you know, camp stove there and, and listen to their stories. And people wanted me to hear about their lives. And they said, we're, we're so excited. Uh, we're about to be resettled to the United States and we're going to move to California. And I remember thinking, that's, that's wonderful. And they said, well, our daughter, who is four at the time, mm -hmm. we think she has trauma. And I said, well, uh, what, what do you mean by that? And they said, well, she, um, she takes a cold shower and she doesn't respond to it. And I said, well, maybe that doesn't mean she didn't say has trauma. And then they went on to say, well, she actually will grab glass and break her hand and start bleeding and shows no emotion. Oh my God. And, okay. Yeah, so she was cutting. That's what she, you're saying. Yeah, she was cutting herself, okay. maybe accidentally, maybe on purpose. I'm not sure, but he's a, as a four-year-old. Okay. But then they also said, Hey, our uncle, he is in this room with us too. He, for the past two years, um, hasn't spoken to anyone. And since this happened here in Syria, this is a few years back, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, he hasn't spoken to anyone and he doesn't talk and he used to be a hardworking man and he, he was so active, but he says he wants to come talk to us today. And they said, but, but here's the thing that really bothered me the most in this. Mm -hmm. They said, when we get to America, when we get to the United States, when we get to California, everything's going to be so much better. Mm -hmm. And I, in my mind, I, I, and I looked at my wife and we knew that that mm -hmm. wasn't necessarily true. Mm -hmm. And I came back to Tennessee and I told my staff, I said, we're not ready for this. Hmm. If they were to come to our city, we're not ready for this. We've got to be better prepared and we better be praying for the people in California that they're prepared better than we are. Hmm. So that's how I got started. Hmm. Man, it reminds me actually, it's so interesting uh, because while well, I didn't come here uh, with the, well, everybody comes here with the hope that there's going to be better life waiting for us. Right. Hmm. But I, I, I was sharing, I don't know which episode, but recently I shared in that episode that even in my own church, person walks in, it's a, say, um, it was a, a Christmas Eve service, actually. So we meet in the uh, restroom, men's room. So I am uh, there. So he is already there. So he sees me and passing by, he leaves this comment behind. Oh, man, you never know uh, how... People can just walk in and they pretend they are Christian and then you find out they're just going to blow up the building and all that. And he just mm -hmm. leaves the room. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I was like, there is nobody in this, this restroom. I'm the only one. Mm. And I'm sure he, of course, he was a visitor. He didn't even know that I'm the pastor. That I'm Pakistani. Uh, uh, yeah. So I had that memory uh, and that's most recent. But my earlier memories are 
when I got here, I went to Bible college uh, upstate New York and, uh, and the guys will just, I will just walk around in the dormitory. So they will make jokes to them. That was, uh, you know, fun, funny thing to say, Oh, watch out. He's gonna uh, blow up something. I was like, why are you saying this? And I was coming from Pakistani Christian background. So Pakistani Christians are very persecuted people. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I, it took me a very long time to even talk about this and say how it makes me feel. My own colleagues will make those kind of comments uh, um, in my previous uh, uh, jobs. So things like this. So I totally understand what you're saying. So that's like you talking about the real um, you know, uh, stuff that they're dealing with. And I'm just talking about like uh, being in uh, upstate New York somewhere mm-hmm. and, or mm-hmm. uh, uh, even in the city and uh, New York City, all where, where these kind of things, and it was not even that deeper, but yet it continued to continue to bother me and hurt me. And it takes so much time to process. And I've been here for like, what, 18, 19 years now. And uh, thinking about a family who just finally got the news that they're going to get out and they're going to find this paradise where there is no pain, there is no crying, nothing, nobody bothers you. And then you find out, well, you, you are wearing a different skin. You're coming from a different country. Uh, things are going to be different. But let me ask you this. How do you define the word trauma in your context? Let me hear that. Because mine, mine is very different, as I shared with you. But what is your definition? Yeah, well, you know, I think it's important to note that people often say that trauma is perhaps the greatest mission field of the 21st century and just things that you and I are talking about right now, right? So your perspective and then what I even shared. So understanding that it does um, affect many, many people and it doesn't play favorites. And we tell people that often. But a, a definition, a couple of ways of looking at it, I would say it's a lasting experience that happens when we're overwhelmed by something. Okay, so it's a lasting experience that happens when we're overwhelmed by something. Or um, another way of saying it that um, Dr. Jim Wilder defines it this way, from the brain's perspective, trauma happens anytime we suffer alone. So suffering turns to trauma when we're unable to process our suffering with God and with other people. So think about it in that way. So, And at the basic level, trust has been broken uh, between humans and or God um, with, with trauma. And mm. so... Trauma happens in relationship. And so I firmly believe that healing needs to happen in relationship. Yeah. And I think that I, I'm, I, I think I might be the living example of both. I'm mm. still processing after 18, 19 years uh, mm. and uh, of being here and uh, dealing with, um, with those comments that came with, uh, you know, my identity as Pakistani, not Mm-hmm. as Christian, um, but then uh, also dealing with my identity as Christian, but not Pakistani in Pakistan. So yes. you, I had yeah. like those two sets of things. And uh, if you're talking about Iraqi, Syrian, Christian, it's same. I think they would have the same problem uh, because the the person who is seeing me here, not seeing a Christian, he's seeing a Pakistani or seeing mm-hmm. me not seeing a Christian see, or, or persecuted believer seeing me as a Arab or Middle Eastern. So all of this. So I, I, I totally see that. And in the community, only in community, I find like even just talking to you, hearing that there is a ministry out there with this kind of focus that Steve and his team is working on these kind of issues and educating the church and preparing the church is, is itself is a process 
of healing for me that, hey, hopefully um, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, if another Alphonse lands in this country, he may uh, have not, uh, he may not go through the same thing that I went through. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate your ministry on that end too. So what are some of the different types of traumas or different types of trauma, excuse me, that can affect different groups of refugees and immigrants and without being too graphic, can you, can you help us or give us uh, our audience some examples of your ministry? Yeah. Well, one, even as you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, that most humans have some kind of, of trauma. We know that 70% of adults in the U.S. have experienced some type of trauma in, this, in their lifetime, right? At least once in their life. We know that. But when you talk about refugees and immigrants, we know that 39% of refugees have PTSD, post-traumatic stress mm -hmm. disorder, versus the general population. So we see that there's already an increase with that. So when you think about refugees on a, in a broader sense, you already tied into some of this, but refugees have lost place. So they come here and we give them a space. We give them housing and we think, okay, they have, they have a space, but they've lost place. Refugees have been forcibly displaced. And so they've lost that. That's a trauma. But then you already tied into some things I was thinking about already. Identity loss, status loss, honor loss, dignity loss. Those are all traumas that we don't necessarily think of as being trauma, but it is. And so then I think about um, even recently I was sitting with a group of women and doing a, a group session with them. They all came from um, East Africa and they came from a, of a Muslim background, but now are all followers of the way of Jesus. And one by one, as they were sharing, once again, in group, they were sharing for the first time some things with one another that they've never voiced to really anyone the way they were talking. And what we realized in that moment, they realized they had all experienced some of the same physical and sexual abuse. And they said, I don't know of a woman that hasn't experienced some of these things. Oh, they man. couldn't name one woman in their whole culture. And then they went on to say that they didn't know of any man in their life. This is, this is telling to me. They didn't know of any man in their life, a brother, a father, even an uncle, or anyone that they can think of, of a male figure that had treated them kindly, right? This is a group of women saying this. I thought, this is, there's a lot happening in that right there, that just alone. And then the last thing that I think about is most recently with our Afghan friends that have been coming to the United States. Um, I've been receiving more calls even more recently. So when they first started arriving to the United States, um, I got a lot of calls and people calling and asking the different things. And then it kind of settled down. And then now more recently, it's been you know eight months or so, some of them will come. I've been getting more calls and saying, hey, this person was fine six, eight months ago, but they seem to stop wanting to go to their job. They, yeah. they don't, they're sitting in the corner, not talking anymore. They don't see them as, as whatever. And I think we need to understand that's what we're really talking about. There is complex trauma and that, that people now that they feel that they're a little safer, they have a time to kind of collapse and, and breathe. And maybe while they were getting here and traveling and, and, and getting here and, you know, surviving for their life, they were kind of staying ahead of that trauma a little bit. So now when they have time to just Whew, you know, exhale, mm -hmm. right? We see some of that regression and, and mm -hmm. many of us 
right, don't understand that. They're like, wait a second, they have a, they have a house or a place to live at least, you know, an apartment. We've given them a job. They have food. They're in a, quote, safe place. Why are they, quote, acting this way, right? And I think sometimes we need to realize that it's that ongoing trauma that we're dealing with. So all those things, those are several things I just said, are, are some examples that we're seeing um, with refugees and immigrants. And, you know, I'm sorry for keep um, you don't bringing need to be you back no, to I, I my, yeah, I love my own life story and reflection, because you see, I don't think about these things anymore, uh, but because the con your conversation is just kind of like bringing those memories back. Mm -hmm. And uh, this conversation itself, and I hope those who are listening, uh, they are feeling those uh, because many of them are, uh, uh, you know, um, human. Yes. Yeah. So they are, if you, human, yeah. <laughs> if you are a human, you have trauma in your life, as you already said that, right? Mm -hmm. All of human have some sort of trauma, some kind of trauma. So hopefully this will help them to just kind of like a, uh, uh, dig deeper. But as you're talking, and I think that's what's happening to me, I'm just remembering things as you're speaking, because uh, when I landed, my first uh, three, four years were just to kind of like get through the college life and just like, okay, how to, how to get used to using this restroom or uh, how, to, um, how to not miss my family back home or how to be able to provide for myself. So you are initial stage. I was completely on initial stage of, uh, I don't know, survival. I was just yeah. like, okay, how to survive. I didn't have time to reflect on what I'm coming from. I'm just looking at what I have come to, how to, how to transport my being or what I, how I dealt and survived there. Now I need to do the same thing somehow, but in a modern way here. So I'm just thinking as you're talking, so I think probably that's why it took me about, I don't know, like it's a few years before I opened up to my wife even. And I mm -hmm. told her some of the things and she was like, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Simple things like, uh, you know, uh, when I got, finally I was able to, uh, you know, uh, uh, go to school and uh, get education. So I was, just, I was just crazy for this degree and that degree and this and that schooling. And my wife was like, you need to stop this. Why are you are like this? So one day we sat down and I told her why. And when she found out the real reason that the reason I'm hungry for this, because I, I lacked that opportunity. I didn't have that. So there's a lot of these kind of like subtle things that are popping up as the time passes, I grow older and things are settling. And, uh, you know, those memories are coming and talking to you. I'm just thinking about some of these things. So probably that's why sense. really it does yeah. total sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I thank you, man. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. I'm glad so, we're talking about it. So when somebody, someone contacts you with someone, with someone struggling with trauma, what does the healing process look like? How do you guide them? Uh, um, do you openly approach it at, from a Christian perspective? What, what do you do? I mean, I'm talking to you. So what are you going to do with me? What, 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 what What's your approach? Right. Well, you know, if we, if we were to, you know, pause for a second, and uh, I would say to you, "Hey, let's 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 breathe." And I think that's really important. And we have to learn to quiet ourselves right. and calm ourselves. I, I really mean that. And so, a lot of that, I tell people, you know, let's learn how to breathe and calm ourselves because we know that being able to quiet ourselves is one of the key indicators for emotional health. We know that. So it's learning how to to breathe and calm. And so, part of that 
even with my, I mentioned I have a five and seven year old, I teach them how to breathe because they get worked up, right? You have children, you mentioned, they get worked up. So I tell them, imagine you have a cup of, you know, coffee or tea in front of you, or maybe you have a bowl of some kind of soup and you want to breathe in with your nose, the smell of it. So that's important. You're breathing in. So, and then we'd say, uh, then my daughter would say, oh, dad, it's too hot. And I'd say, well, you know, remember, blow it out, blow it out, blow on that, that coffee and, and blow on that tea or blow on that soup. And doing that over and over again, breathing in with your nose and out with your mouth. So let's calm ourselves before we start talking about the trauma, right? right. And right. so, but when someone else, a lot of people come and say, we want to help Muslims, refugees. We want to help people that are experiencing trauma. And the first thing I'll say to them is, well, you need to take the um, journey before you lead the tour. And what I mean yeah, by yeah. that is you can't discount your own pain uh-huh. um, without trying to help someone else. And there's a quote that I use often that says, discounting your own pain is a sure sign that you cannot be a reverent witness to the pain of others. Very I'll good. Say that again, discounting our own pain is a sure sign that you cannot be a reverent witness to the pain of others. Yeah. And so uh, that's part of where we start is like, let's talk about that. So then if I was talking to someone like yourself or others, I would say, let's talk about how do we actually listen to you well? So we teach a lot of listening skills. People think that talking less is good listening. That's not necessarily good listening. Mm. So um, another quote that's often shared is being heard is so close to being loved that the average person, it's indistinguishable, right? So just someone being able to share their story in a safe context that feels that they can share that. Because once again, trauma, some trust has been broken. Can I actually share this with this person? Is it, do I feel comfortable sharing this person? So I t- teach people about how to listen well, and we can talk more about that. But then um, the other thing is we often talk about how you need to raise levels of joy. So the joy, joy by definition, the way I define it is that I'm glad to be with someone, right? That someone's glad to be with me, that kind of thing. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to, that person is glad to be with me. So if I'm, if I'm giving you the ministry of presence, I'm enjoying my time with you. And then we talk about how to, because joy is contagious. Joy is relational. Joy is something our brains desire more than anything else. So how do we raise joy before we even talk about trauma? So I do that so much. So when we're doing that, and then the other thing is we do this usually in group context, I already referenced that a little bit, because people need to share their trauma because trauma disconnects people, but also we want them to be able to tell their stories and other people can hear that story and say, oh, I'm not alone. Someone else has that same story. Just as I shared with those women from East Africa, they started saying, oh my goodness, you feel the same way I do. I didn't know that happened to anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, you know, trauma affects our whole body. So we want to do it in a way that we're approaching our mind, our emotions and our body, which are all necessary for the healing process. And then as far as I help people from any faith background, mm-hmm. and I do use um, God's word or the Injil or the holy books, whatever way we need to frame it for the context we're in. And I tell people, we're going to use that. And people say, well, how does that happen? I said, well, when people are really hurting. I've even had leaders of mosques that I've talked with. And they said, I, I won't help. And I said, well, you know, I'm going to use the Injil. And they'd say, that's okay. Because you're just offering it to them, and it's not a bait and switch. It's not, hey, come talk about your trauma and your pain, and now I want to tell you about Jesus. It's like, Mm -hmm. I want to tell you that we're going to come share our stories, we're going to listen to one another, and then also we're going to use this because we know that ultimately Jesus is the healer. Amen.
So what role Islam plays? Because your context, I, I, as yes. you know, I, I'm hearing it's a lot of Muslim uh, mm -hmm. folks. So what role does Islam play in the lives of Muslim working through trauma? Yeah. Well, I'll probably quote some of our um, friends that come from a Muslim background and what they've told me. Um, and so, one, I, I believe that Islam has little to offer in terms of healing from trauma and loss. So I'll say that they don't there's not much that they offer when it comes to the actual healing process, which I think is why this this imam was interested in what I was talking about. I think another thing that um, a Central Asian brother told me is like the reason he got involved in trauma care is he said Islam doesn't offer any hope. There's no way out. There's nothing there. So thinking about that and that there's no place to really place what they're dealing with, right? And then how to, there's no category for that. And I think one of the big things that we see with Islam playing in the lives of trauma with, with Muslims is actually fear and fear bonds. And what I mean by that is we're either bonding with people out of love or out of fear. And they're often the approach is that their, their God is not known as a God of love. Our God is known as love, period. Like he's love, not just loving. He is love. And so I think that plays a role into it of, of fear, which then leads to what I'm sure you've talked about many times, leads to, to shame and leads to the things about you know, how do we have honor. So I think all those things play into how trauma can affect our Muslim friends. Yeah, and I love the way you are very upfront upfront and honest about uh, hey i i am uh, yes uh, this service is available but it is in the love of jesus christ but at the same time you're very clear that how is it it's different from a uh, any religion for that you know yes. matter because in every religion you're gonna find religious teachings to care for the soul and nobody thinks about like, yes, you, you are the soul, you know, you, this body is temporary, but still it's yours mm -hmm. and uh, it hurts. And all of that is part of that. Actually, it reminds me, I'm going through this series here at a church, Colossians, and the whole heretical viewpoint in there was, uh, don't worry about the body, body's going to die one day. So yes. just worry about your soul uh, and uh, then give your body over to sin. So keep sinning. And I think it's a perpetrator and the victim, both when they have that kind of mentality, because the religion doesn't suggest otherwise, then there's a problem. Um, so Muslims are frequently stereotyped. Um, what is something commonly assumed about Muslims that you would like to dispel in this conversation? Yeah, I, I really like this question. Uh, and it made me ponder. And I think one of the things that you've already touched on a little bit when you talked about some of the things that you experienced, I like to, for people to understand that all Muslims don't have ill intent, <laughs> that Muslims are actually fun. They're, they're, they love to laugh. They love to dance and entertain and host. They're kind. They're, they're family oriented, um, that they really are human. Right. And so um, and they just aren't out to just harm people all the mm -hmm. time kind of mm -hmm. like the comments you had in that bathroom that 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 terrible experience you had um that that's a, just a broad stereotype that all muslims um want to cause harm in some way and i'm thinking no they're actually fun loving so many of the ones that i know for sure 
Yeah. And I think that's, I also like that you're very specific and uh, you don't give uh, 30 different answers. You just like, give me like, Hey, let's let people focus on one thing. And I like that. <laughs> and I think you're doing this intentionally and I think it's helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, just that one thing. So let it be. Uh, whoever is hearing this, uh, know that uh, not all Muslims are the same. I mean, they're simply not. And uh, they are human, and most of them, they just want to get to know you. They want to enjoy the American life. They want to enjoy freedom. And uh, stereotyping is just something only going to divide us further, right? Mm. So what tangible steps can listeners take if they are motivated to start assisting refugees with trauma healing in their own neighborhoods and uh, or, or even church. Like for example, my church, I'm surrounded by um, many Muslim communities. I mean, Arabs and uh, Middle Easterns, Bengalis, Pakistanis, Indian Muslims even. So there are all kinds of Muslims here too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the first thing that we usually teach is do no harm. There's a lot of well-intended people that want to help with trauma, but they can still cause trauma. They don't know that but because they're not aware of that. So they can, um, so I think that's one. So do no harm. And what I mean by that is, okay, let's, let's be present with them. So let's go back to that joy piece that I'm glad to be with them. Really be glad to be with them. Be present with them, sit with them, even, you know, be calm with them, teaching them to even breathe and relax and be there. And I think a key thing is actually listening well to them. And so people often say, well, I think I'm a good listener. And I'd say, well, you know, that can be true and maybe it's not, but we're teaching people how to, how to listen well. So one of the things with that about listening well is being, just being present and then thinking about how to not fix or solve them or theology, give them theological, theological answers. Right. And so part of that is we are meaning makers. You and I and all humans are meaning makers. So we want to try to figure out why did that happen to X, Y, or Z person I'm going to try to give them something, but we really want them to tell their story and discover what's going on versus us just telling them things and giving them solutions that may or may not work. So in a trusted relationship, if you know this person, right, you've built that relationship, don't just walk up to someone on the street and start asking these questions I'm about to share with you. But in that context of relationship, while you're having tea or having over for a meal, you know, you can say, um, you know, tell me what happened. And you may know what happened, but let them frame it for you. Let them tell it in their words, their way, their context. And then saying, man, thank you so much for sharing that with me. So how did you feel? Let them, healing mm-hmm. happens on the emotional level. Let them name some of those emotions. Mm-hmm. And then another, another good question asked people is, what was the hardest part for you? And those last two words are important, for you. Because you and your wife or me and my wife or me and my family can go through the same exact experience but we're going to experience it differently. Not every Afghan that came to the United States experienced the same thing. So right. ask them, what was the hardest part for you? So let them and let them tell their story mm-hmm. and let them feel safe doing that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, doing no harm, be present, helping them breathe, mm-hmm. really enjoy being with them. Let them know that you actually enjoy being with them. Mm-hmm. I, I can't say that enough. You're, you're, you're not just <laughs> trying to move on. You're not trying to just quote, heal them. Right you're actually, you enjoy being with them and then ask them those questions with those things. Very relational, man. That's extremely relational. Yes, it is. a commitment. Yes. I think that's how, uh, as I'm hearing you, that's how I'm processing in my mind what it means. And I think it seems like uh, 
genuine relationship right there. You know, treat, um, we started off this whole thing with that. We yeah. want to treat people as human. We want right. people to know that you and I are human, yeah. but also Muslims are human. And yeah. then sitting with them and enjoying time with them. And then mm-hmm. really what we're trying to help people is just to be good friends to people as well. So right. I want to be this way with you. And I want to be this way with people that are Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, whatever Christian, right. whatever background they are. I think that's what we're called to be as people of the kingdom. Yeah. And I tell you this, when we treat, uh, uh, I was having this conversation with another um, guest on the podcast, and he said that uh, most uh, uh, immigrant Muslims or immigrants in general, even if they are just, uh, uh, you know, doing uh, mundane things, for example, um, maybe selling uh, um, uh, strawberries or something on the side of, uh, uh, you know, on the roadside, they have still, they have a lot of influence back home. And when we treat, uh, I'm just thinking, connecting that with this conversation, then when we treat them good here, when we are doing what you just said, being human, I think their influence can uh, uh, have a ripple effect over there. So perhaps uh, somebody who is uh, you know, uh, not Muslim and being persecuted because of the experience they have here may change the idea over there back home. So I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm just thinking missionally, you know. Well, I'm I love that. I, I think it's the whole thing about hospitality, right? Yeah. So we know that it's such an honor to go into someone's house when we are traveling in mm-hmm. a Muslim world. But then how many don't come into an American home, right? Don't, don't yeah. visit that. So they tell those stories, right? And so yeah. they, they tell those things back and forth. I think that's it's so true. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anything else you want to add before we um, start wrapping this up, brother? Um, I think it's the most, I would say the only thing I would add probably is, um, don't let fear drive you, mm. right? Don't let fear drive you. Go ahead and, and, uh, go talk to that neighbor, go talk to that friend, go talk to that person, that shopkeeper, right. Mm-hmm. And engage mm-hmm. with them. Don't let fear drive us. That's awesome. Good advice. If listeners wants to get in touch with you, Steve, what are the easiest ways? Yeah, if you're thinking, man, I want to know more about this or I want to be trained myself. We offer trainings mm-hmm. all the time. You can email me at steve.moses at vision59.com. So that's steve.moses at vision and the number 59.com. Or you can go to blazingtrees.org. So blazingtrees.org, you'll see what we're doing there as well. Great. That will also be included in the episode description. And for the last thing, because uh, we started with the, this human aspect of us sharing about our lives, I also want to make sure that in the middle of uh, serious conversation, the type of things we're talking about, trauma, there's nothing more serious than trauma, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I want to make sure that we leave with uh, a less serious, dramatic thing. <laughs> so tell me a joke, lighten the yeah. mood. Yeah, I got a joke for you. This is um, from my seven-year-old son. Okay. okay. So you're going to help me with this, though. So it's a knock-knock joke. So okay. knock-knock. Who was there? Cows. Cows who? No cows moo. Owls who? <laughs> so there you go. This is better. I hear <laughs> the other ones like moo ones where yeah. they're, you're trying to speak and they're like moo. No, see, yeah, yeah, my son turned around on us, didn't he? Yeah, so yeah, this is nice. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you so much for being here on the show. Again, that was uh, Steve 
from Blazing Trees. And thank you to all our listeners. If you appreciate this podcast, please be sure to subscribe to the show and leave in an honest review wherever you listen to your podcast. Turn in next week for more honest discussions from diverse voices. You've been listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javed, which presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Please check back for new episodes every week.